Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Learning, Lifting, Leading Social Equity for and by Black and Brown Girls and Women. My name is Jen Grimmett, and with us today is Nashonda Cook, North Carolina public school educator and blogger, speaking on the topic of Black and Brown Girls and Women in the Media, Stereotyping, and Cyberbullying. So, welcome, Nashonda. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Of course. Um, You know, to help our listeners grow a little bit more understanding about you, could you give a little background about the work that you have done and who you are that brings you to speak on this topic? Absolutely. Um, I am a 20-year veteran in the classrooms of uh, public schools in North Carolina. Um, I am originally from, I was born in the state of Mississippi, raised in Pennsylvania by a single mom um, who did everything possible to keep her children um, on the right path and to know the value of education. And um, she made sure that we knew that what we were stepping out into, into society, and she wanted us to be well prepared for that as well as give back. So I became an educator, moved to North Carolina, and have taught um, elementary and middle school special needs students. Uh, I have um, also written blogs about uh, the women in the state of North Carolina and brought attention to those who most people would not necessarily know their story but can resonate with them and be familiar with them. I coach sports. I have a mentor program for both um, African-American males and females at an elementary level and a middle school level. And um, my most important role is as a mother, a single mom of two beautiful children, a 14-year-old who um, is an avid volleyball player and all-academic student, and my 11-year-old who is a student living on the spectrum of autism who absolutely adores tacos and her own time to watch her videos on YouTube. So all that being said, I um, get to witness what it is like to grow up to be a beautiful brown, uh, black and brown girl in society today and everything that comes with it to be able to get to that point. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to I hear more about the YouTube videos at some point. Oh, that sounds interesting. She would be more than happy to talk to you about that. That would be <laughs> that's awesome. Her, that's her thing. <laughs> so one of the things that I thought m- might be helpful is to do a little defining of terms to kind of break down the contextual pieces and application of what we're talking about. So could you give a little like some context, some de- definition to the terms stereotyping and cyberbullying. Uh, I sure can. And being an educator, um, I'll put it in the context of what I see as um, an educator and as a mother. Um, stereotyping are some of the things that I see, uh, whether it be um, gender-based or ethnic race racial base um 
you walk into the classroom and you see a uh, group of students. Um, if they happen to be all white students, you most people walk in thinking, okay, this is an AP class or this is an honors class, and these students are really focused and engaged and know the value of education. Some people walk into a classroom, and if they see a lot of African-American uh, Hispanic students or students who are newcomers, they will think, well, this is either an average um, or uh, average class teaching basic skills or maybe even a special education class. Um, and some of that is because of, of the misdiagnosis of students. Um, we have a very high number of African-American males who have been labeled special needs. That, that is not necessarily the case. Um, several uh, states have been warned about the numbers of suspensions that they're doing, more so to African-American male students versus white students for the same offenses. Um, stereotyping happens in um, my daughter, for, as a matter of fact. She is very tall for her age. She's um, oh, about six feet, and the first thing people say to her is, oh, I know you play basketball. Mm. My daughter played basketball one season, and she's just like, okay, this is okay, but it's not for me. She's one of, in my opinion, the best volleyball players I've ever seen. So volleyball is her thing. Um, but people automatically assume that she is a basketball player because of her height. That's a stereotype. Um, Cyberbullying is, oh, as an, again, as an educator, we see that so often in the classroom. It's... Um, students or people who use social media and um, other forms of technology to degrade or belittle someone. I've seen it on uh, apps such as Snapchat and Facebook and where rumors have gotten started or people have been referred to as some derogatory, sexist, racist names, um, their face will be cropped out and it could be an animal or something else or, or um, something that is just extremely negative and affects a student. It's something that we speak to our students about often in the classroom because a lot of times the students feel like it's just fun and games or they did something to me first so I'm just getting back at them. But they don't realize how hurtful and how damaging that can be to both parties and how it follows them and how... We have to show them examples sometimes of how adults do it in maybe the political arena and how it um, adds to the negative stereotypical thoughts of types of people and groups of people and women. Um, if uh, there is a picture of a young lady in high school or something on social media and she's referred to as a whore or a hoe or something like that. Um, first thing that comes to mind that most people think because of stereotyping might be particular uh, rappers or music because the way they dress or the way the things that they sing about. So the kids are getting these ideas, in my opinion, from the media that portrays women who dress a certain way, who sing about a certain way, where it could be in their mind is I'm independent and I'm doing what I want to do, but my someone else's reflection might be different on that. So children are connecting that to someone else, and mm -hmm. then they make it um, visual. And they don't realize the chain reaction that, that that will cause 
or even that they have become a part of something bigger than them that they have no idea the um, consequences to doing something like that or being involved in something like that. So, and it's not just the students who, I'm sorry, it's not even just the ones who just do it, the ones who continue it and spread it and instigate it. You know, we have to tell them, you know, you're, you have a part in this as well. I, yeah, I cannot imagine. I did not, you know, I grew up in the time period where the internet piece wasn't you know, a vehicle for bullying, right? Right. And so I I can't imagine what that impact, I mean, I see the impact, and part of, you know, the conversation today will help hopefully folks to grow a deeper understanding of the impact. Um, but, yeah, it's it's tremendous, yeah, it is. It's, it can be overwhelming. You sit and you have a conversation with students and sometimes they have no idea, no idea what's going on and, and what they've gotten themselves into and what they've allowed others to get them involved in and be a part of. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the cyberbullying, you know, you have the victims, you have the perpetrators and you have the bystanders. And everyone has created this uncomfortable and inappropriate and unacceptable environment that affects so many more people than just those three roles. So. Yeah, and, you know, when I was doing a little prep for our conversation today, I was looking over the website cyberbullying.gov, and I Mm -hmm. noticed that, you know, they offer a lot of resources, you know, both at the practical and educational levels for countering bullying behaviors. And one of the things that I knew, but that was interesting just to have right in front of me was there are three special concerns with cyberbullying that are unique to that form. And it's that cyberbullying is persistent, permanent, and hard to notice. Yes. And... You know, it speaks to what you are talking about with that it's different than a physical form. Yeah, it's not just passing a note anymore, you know. It's not just whispers anymore. These kids are using, you know, their devices to communicate something that is there. It's easily acceptable, and it's there for hours. It's not just a quick comment. You know, it could be there for hours, days, months, years. Mm-hmm. It's there. And, you know, um, the the victim in the situation might even feel like, you know, this is never going to end. This is available. Somebody has this and they're going to keep this for their records and they're going to use this against me later on. Or and, and even the offender may feel like that, like I made this mistake. And now somebody it's documented. It's recorded. It's it's stored in a file somewhere. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the persistent piece there is like it, it's not a quick fix. It's not a 30 minute sitcom where it's over or there's a break for commercials. It's there and it's staying there. And then, you know, again, and then the, the permanent piece, like you said, is people. Some people will not forget that. That will always be in the back of someone's mind. And I have that conversation with my daughter. It's just like, you know, once you put something out there, it's out there. Mm-hmm. It's accessible to folks. It's, I tell my, my students. Just because you think you share it with a few people 
You don't know who those few people could share it with and who it will say this and who can have access to this somehow, some way when you apply for a job or you show interest in someone and they say, oh, no, I saw this online that you did five years ago. Perfect example, Kevin Hart mm-hmm. getting ready to host the Oscars, one of the most uh, prestigious, if you ask some people, events possible for your career. Something he did years ago has cost him that. Mm-hmm. And, and and you you know, the average person might say, well, yeah, he stepped down in honor of it because he felt bad. Oh, no, he had no choice. There was no way he was going to be able to host something when he has said some things about a group of folks that was horrific and inappropriate and negative. So that was permanent. This is the, if I can, if I recall correctly, this is something he did years ago. And he thought it was funny. And then the folks are coming to his aid saying, oh, people should get over it. It's just a joke. It's not a joke. Mm-hmm. And it's there. And now he just cost him something that could have, you know, catapulted his career. And and then the, the third thing that you were saying, you know, the hard to notice piece, because kids do communicate without us even knowing. I'm, I'm lucky and blessed to feel that I have um, built trust and confidence in my students where they can come to me and tell me about these things. But had they not, I would have never known um, about some cyber bullying. Um, sometimes I don't know what's coming on, what's happening. I, I have to look in the faces of my students. And if I see one that has all of a sudden become withdrawn and quiet and emotional, I see something is wrong. And unfortunately, sometimes it is because they have been cyberbullied or someone has said something about them and it has affected them. And it, and it can turn into this um, event that's related to something else that has traumatized them in the past or they can relate to. And it brings back these these feelings and these emotions. Um And then, you know, you get the families involved and you say, "Okay, you know, we didn't realize this. It was brought to our attention and it breaks parents hearts. And it's like, how could you let this happen? And even if it doesn't happen at school, you know, if it's brought to our attention at school, some students have um, had to answer to why they have posted things online. And it could be they posted it at home. Mm -hmm. Still, it's brought to school and it affects how um, the victim is. responding to their environment you know they you know it, it even if we don't see it and it's brought to our attention um we have to respond to it we have to make sure that our students you know know that we care and then we're going to address it and you know it's not just a kid being shoved in the locker now now it's these posts and these things that people share and it doesn't go away. And it's, it's, again, it's not an overnight fix for the students who are involved in it. So as a teacher, is it, do you find it difficult to keep up with the technology in which they are communicating? You know, it's, we, we have a phenomenal digital and technology grasp on things as educators we have some of our co-workers that's all they do they're all about we teach some of the kids some of the things that they may not necessarily be aware of um some some um apps and things that they can use to communicate and so kids take that and they they're so intelligent and intuitive and creative that they can make it into their own thing it can be something as simple as 
Google Classroom that we use, where um, you are up front with the students and you are presenting a slide presentation and it's open to the other students. And so they can add their comments and they can add their evidence and, and their um, information they want to bring to the conversation. Mm-hmm. And students, students are able to use that uh, inappropriately. And then you also have like the Snapchats and the Twitter and the, um, there's one called To Be Honest um, where kids will reveal their true feelings somewhat anonymously kids really think that anonymous really means means anonymous uh, <laughs> and you, you know you're like uh no that sounds I mean, awful <laughs> it is it's more, you know and and my my students have been um hurt by things like that and it's like oh well so and so said this about me and i know who said it because they're the only person who knew about it and now everybody knows about it mm-hmm. it's like you know you know it's not it's it's not easy. It's not difficult for adults to be aware of them. It's um, it takes time to sit down and learn it. And, you know, if you have a good relationship with a student or with your own child or with another parent, you can learn about these apps. Um, as a parent, anything that my daughter has on the phone, I have to be a part of. And at any moment, she knows, you know, I'm, I want to see your phone. And I, I text through it and I go through it and I ask questions and we d- discuss things. And there are times where I have to explain what something means to her or she has to explain it to me, all these acronyms and things like that. Um, you just you have to devote time to it. And it's absolutely necessary. This is not an option anymore. This is like, OK, you is not picking up the phone and you're pressing mute and you're listening to your child's conversation. It's not that easy anymore. Now it's OK. Let's let's sit down. Let's talk about this. What does this mean? What does this app do? And uh, some some like I said, some educators, that's their job. That's their thing to go out and look at technology and say, okay, what is this app and how can it be used? And actually, you know, some of the standards and some of the things that we assess our students on is using social media and digital technology responsibly and knowing what is what websites are credible and what and which ones aren't. If we give them a project to research, the first thing they want to go is to Wikipedia. And we have to say, well, you know, mm-hmm. you might want to do some other ones because anybody can change anything on Wikipedia. And they don't know that. So we have to educate them on what they think they already know and what they already have access to and what they have been misinformed about. So it's not difficult to, to be a part of what younger kids are doing now. It's not like the music or the videos where you're like, I don't even want to watch this. <laughs> you have to, you you have to expose yourself to it so you're in the know. I I listen to my daughter's music and I I absolutely love some of it, and others I'm just like, okay, let's talk about this. And I do it with my students too. With my my group, my young men that I mentor at school, we talk about the difference between particular um, artists and other artists. I'm like, do you is this really the woman who you would this representation of a woman you would want on your arm is this who you're going to take home to grandma for thanksgiving mm-hmm. just like that talking like that so they think about it and of course their teenage boys yeah yeah miss cook yeah i'm like okay okay but i know in their <laughs> mind they're thinking heck no <laughs> yeah so i let them pre- present one thing but at least i got those wheels turning at least i got them thinking hey you know i, I, I may need to consider 
finding someone who emulates Michelle Obama versus uh, uh, Nicki Minaj and uh, um, Cardi B, who are both very talented women who just choose to show different sides of them. And I, for one, am all for freedom and expressing yourself and being strong in anything you choose to discuss, sexuality or anything like that. But I feel like, you know, sometimes too much to younger crowds is too much. Mm-hmm. So what do you, how would you describe the relationship between racial stereotyping and we can even add gender stereotyping in there and yeah. cyberbullying? I feel like um, the media plays a huge role in that. Um, on social media, you could just be, for example, on Facebook, wanting to connect with old classmates or catch up with family members, and all of a sudden you see an ad for a show um, that the cast is all black women who live off of finding men who are successful in life and um, argue about some of the most immature things, and they and people watch it to see if, they, if they're going to fight. Um, they watch it to see if their clothes cover um, their bodies appropriately. Uh, you see shows like that. You don't see um, advertisements for shows that highlight women who are have prominent careers, who can be independent if they choose to be, who are raising their families. You see these shows where uh, it glorifies violence against one another. Um, it's maybe the angry black woman syndrome. It could be dependent on a man. It could be uh, um, couples who are lesbians who have been um, shunned by their family. And although we know that can be the case, it not always is. It's all, it's almost like they want to sell negative stereotypes. And these images and these thoughts are imprinted in the brains of our students. And some of them think that's all there is. They think that that's all there is on TV for them to um, find mentors in and role models in and anything negative. They emulate. They they do it at school, too. They, they want to fight someone who um, says something about their best friend or their or their boyfriend or their something like that. So I, I feel as though people are taking that and they're running with it because they want to hold um, African-American women and Latino women and our, our same-sex couples down to a lower standard. So they expose the most negative sides they possibly can, true or not, whether it's fact or whether it's opinion, that is what people see. That is what people purposely, the media and other, other groups, purposely uh, portray and make available to our students so they think this is what it's like to be a black woman this is my only opportunity to be successful in life to get out of my difficult trans uh place now i i want to grow up and i want to be wealthy or i want to be financially secure so the only way i can do that is find um someone who is uh affluent and an, an athlete who may have several children by other women or I may have to be standing in a video half naked while a rapper is rapping about objectifying me and using my body and then go moving on to the next. Students are 
are um, exposed to this so more so than women who are doctors, the, the first black woman to um, be elected in Massachusetts, the first edu- educator to win um, a seat in Congress, they see the latter, the earlier more than they do the latter. So they think that's all that's out there. And others think that's all they're capable of becoming. And that's where cyberbullying comes in. That's where, you know, you see pictures of groups of students um, doing inappropriate and racial gestures to their classmates. Build the wall in a high school? Mm-hmm. You know, why? What, what, what is the reason for you to be um, supportive of something that you really likely have no idea what it really means, who it really affects? People in your family, you know, your friends. Students see these things and they start to imitate it and they start to think, well, this is the way life is. Or they may even think, this is how I'm going to keep my privilege. This is how I'm going to continue my family's tradition of safety and security and a great job and money is if I continue to perpetrate these stereotypes on other people, then my future is secure. And that's not what we need to do. I I had a conversation once uh, with a professor from Duke and my question to him was, how do I make sure that my young men are social justice warriors and that they're strong and they're prepared for things that they're going to go through? And he said, you know, I honestly don't think that it's for you to um, build that in your black and your brown boys or your black and your brown girls. You have to have a conversation with the white students. You have to have a conversation with the other students who are well off and feel like they have uh, nothing to lose and everything to gain if they continue to hold your black and your brown boys down, if they continue to um, have these stereotypes and um, participate in cyberbullying of peers. And I thought that was so profound. That was such a changing moment for me. It was like, okay, I've put all my energies into my boys, into my sons, and I have left the other ones out. I've got to start conversations with them. I've got to start building relationships with them. Not just, you know, authority figures who come into the school. I've got to make sure that my my white boys get along with my black boys and my Hispanic boys and they're all teammates and they all care about each other and they all sit down and they talk about how their characteristics and their personalities have a lot in common. And they see past the skin color. They see past who that other person chooses to love. They see that they're all human, that they all have the same bodily functions. They all need oxygen to breathe. They all have to have a heartbeat. None of them want to be hurt. They all want to be taken care of and be able to take care of their own families. So if I can create these relationships based on, you know, character traits, for example, whose who's, who's top character trait is bravery? Who appreciates beauty in the world? And we start these conversations on that and we can appreciate the differences with each other and appreciate each other's culture, then we can start making a, a change and we can eliminate cyberbullying and we can anim- eliminate the stereotypes and we can cultivate and create and strengthen real, genuine and, and authentic relationships with one another and appreciate and acknowledge differences. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, the cyberbullying and the stereotyping will not be an issue. One of the areas that I have focused on in some of the educational strategies I try to apply 
are looking for ways of sameness and in in kind of couching it in that way as opposed to let's celebrate diversity and yes. and the reason why I have done that and I feel like that it's aligned with what you what you have just shared is celebrating diversity is so important but yes. the I feel that the groundwork to that is finding those areas where folks have a better understanding of where we're the same. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think, I think, I think it's it's more more than one avenue that can be taken to make sure that um, just the human population can live on this planet together and some of that is recognizing the sameness in each other recognizing that we all want um to feel appreciated you know we all want to be able to take care of our families if there's ever a need you know we all want the freedom of being able to shop in the store we all want the freedom to be able to go in any place we all want the freedom to pursue any career or passion or or um interests that we want and um that begins with things that we have in common you know and if we um can talk about that and relate to each other on that level then you know ethnicity um sexual preference and anything else will just be oh okay mm-hmm. well that you know that, that that's interesting let's talk more about how we can do this together you know, people will be able to see past. I look forward to the day where we don't have to talk about, you know, the first black female pilot to do this or the first Latino um, person to be elected to this. I look forward to the day where we can say, OK, our country, our world is moving in the right direction. And these are who the leaders are. Mm-hmm. I, I in, in, in my teaching career, I don't do, I mean, Black History Month is celebrated, but I do information all year long. And in the past few years, I've been thinking, um, why am I still giving current information about the first black this? Mm-hmm. And, and why, why are we, why do we still have to celebrate the first woman to, to accomplish this athletic goal? It is so far past time for us to just be looking at each other as humans and, and accomplishments just because it's been done. It, you know, it started, that, and that's been a, a, something that I've just kind of consciously been acknowledging lately. I, in my previous years, it's like, okay, this is important information for my students to know. they got to know this is the first black man to reach the North Pole, and this is who really invented um, this object that we use every day but it's time for us to get to the point where it's like okay this has been done Hmm. you know not not this is not the first black person to do this this is not the first woman to do this it's i totally agree with you where it's time to get to that point and and once we can do that then we can move on and we can leave a better world for our children um i think getting to that point is acknowledging and um realizing that it doesn't have to be um you know, the title or the 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 um, newspaper clipping doesn't have to always address a person's race 
or a person's sex, things like that. It's just, okay, this woman is now elected as president of the United States, or here's our president of the United States. That has to be the first woman, which it obviously will be. But it, the day we get to the point where we can just say this is who it is and, and people be uh, more focused on what they'll bring to the table and, and the peace and the prosperity that everyone can experience because this person represents what we're all looking for, that would be great. That would absolutely be great. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as as a mother, how are you seeing, like, the effects on black and brown mothers raising daughters in this world where, you know, uh, this virtual world of intangible ways to of bullying? And, yeah. <laughs> You know, it, yeah, you know, I have a teenager now who is, you know, she's social media is her life. <laughs> but, you know, again, she's she's a she's a high achieving ac- academic athlete. So, you know, I, I can meet her halfway. Um, but I, I, I look at it as a mother of my own children that I've given birth to. And then I look at it as my students who, who once they come into my classroom or I just make contact with them, they become my kid. Um it's difficult because I want to expose them to people who have positively contributed to society, whether that be that they have stood up for something and they have been outspoken about some atrocities that they've seen, that they've been brave enough and shown courage to bring attention, whether that be at a local level, maybe someone has spoken at a county commissioner's meeting, or, or maybe this is someone who um, has spoken and had a conversation with uh, the governor of the country, something that where some, someone has positively brought forth information and acknowledgement about things that are going on in the world. I try and expose my my daughters to women like that in our in our own family i I tell them all the time about um, the wonderful things that my mom has accomplished being a child of the civil rights era and being one of the children that hoses were turned on and it didn't deter her at all she still fights for civil rights i talked to them about um my mom's godmother who was one of if not the only female photojournalist that um, recorded and reported for Dr. King and Reverend Abernathy. Her name was Inez Baskins. And I tell them, you have this in your blood. You know, you have people who stood up and who fought when times were not the safest, when they were alone by themselves, but they stood up and they raised families as well. So, you know, they were a part of this movement that was bigger than them. But then they went home and they took care of their families. They made sure there was something to eat. There was clean clothes. There was food on the table. Homework was done. They likely had another job outside of both of those things, outside of being a family and being part of a civil rights movement or equality movement. And I personally try to be an example for them, too. You know, they see me as um, no longer married to their dad, making sure they have everything that they need based on what I'm able to provide for them. Uh, But then I also make it very realistic with them. 
they know when times are tough. They know when um, I can't get everything that they want. Um, they know when mom has to stay late at school or, or um, has to have a conversation with a parent that may not necessarily make me feel good. So um, what I try to do is give them a realistic view of what it's like to actually be a brown woman in today's world. And um, I'm okay with if I'm not their role model. That is completely fine with me. I expose them to other women who can be their role model. I expose them to um, the effects of not making the best decisions and falling under peer pressure. Um, my daughter and I have had several conversations about being involved with um, situations that uh, – could be bullying, could be uh, labeled as cyberbullying or stereotypical, my, especially my teenager. She, you know, she's in middle school and high school now. And we've had conversations about how at one school where we both were, the kids were separated by race because of choice. Then when we both transferred to another school, that was not the case at all. We would see um, a, a black female student sitting down and a white male student braiding her hair. We would see students who are from um, countries, third war countries, sitting and having conversations with teachers who look nothing like them. Like we, we saw students who stood up for other students who were wearing religious um, clothing and people questioned that inappropriately and someone else stood up for them. So as a mother, I do everything that I possibly can to expose them to everything and as many cultures as possible and, and discuss why respect is absolutely in, um, expected. Um, but, you know, there are the moments where it does get difficult and we have to talk about why people are being treated differently and why we won't be a part of that and why we have to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves. So sometimes the conversations are not easy. Um, but I have them unapologetically with them because I want them to be able to have those conversations with their friends just in case their parents aren't. I have the conversations with my students saying, hey, no matter what the conversation is at home, you come up with your own opinion. You mm -hmm. decide if you are for this person or not. And um, as an educator, our students um, should not know our political preferences or how we feel about current administration. Um, but our job is to teach them what the duties and the responsibilities of particular offices are. And then we show them what's actually going on in the world. And then they come to their own conclusion. They decide, is this a good representation of me for my family? Is this going to be successful? Am I going to be able to have friends who feel safe in this country? So we educate them on what the system says is supposed to be done. And then we also allow them to form their own opinions based on research that they do about what actually is happening. So with that, it's a way of us be able to help to cultivate these minds and change our growth mindset. So now they're not saying things like, oh, um, Asian students are the smartest students in, in math class. Now our students are starting to say, I'm going to sit down and have a conversation and figure out how they can help me or how he or she can help me. And then I'm going to do my best so I can make high marks as well. Because it's not because of their race. It's not because of where they come from. 
you know, it's something that I can learn from them so I can be um, thought of the same way. Or I shouldn't think of another student like this because of their neighborhood or where they come from. I need to become friends with them. I need to discuss and have a conversation with them so I can form my own opinions. And I can hopefully um, talk to other people and encourage them to have appropriate, you know, um, thought and images and responses to conversations or situations. So that that is my way of addressing cyberbullying. It's creating like I said, authentic relationships, giving students opportunities to get to know one another, to dispel these myths and these horrible um, responses that other people or adults that they see are making. I tell my students that we need you to fix it. And the way that you're going to fix it is you're going to respect each other and you're going to love each other and you're going to appreciate each other and you're going to acknowledge each other and you're going to work together because you're able to do all those things. So if, if, we're, if I'm having study hall, I'll say, let's listen to some music. They pick a song, of course, a clean version. Mm-hmm. Then I pick a song. So they expose me to their music. I expose them to their music. And then we discuss the differences. You know, it's like, okay, listen to this um, Donna Summer song. And then tell me what she's talking about. She's talking about how hard it is for women to make it out here. Can't you relate to that? Don't you see how hard, you know, you have a female in your life working? to make sure she's taking care of everything and she's not worried about no man. She just wants to make sure she can feed her kids and pay her bills. So they started to think that's how we change and we shape their their hearts and their minds. I, I tell people all the time, teaching is brain surgery and heart surgery at the same time. Mm-hmm. Even the way our kids use their, their minds and their brains and also their hearts. But we can only do that if we expose them to what everything that is out there not just what the media portrays them to be what they can be that they can decide what they can be they don't have to be married to an nba player i tell my ladies you can be the coach of the team of a male nba team you can be you don't have to be a rapper's wife you can be the lawyer of a rapper so Mm -hmm. you know we expose them purposely to things that are out there that they may not necessarily see in the media and then they're able to um, discuss that with classmates and with friends and they see each other differently and then the cyberbullying just becomes something that's just so um, unattractive to them that they don't become a part of it. So one of the things and, and I'm going off book here so you, <laughs> so you can tell me if you're like I can't really speak to that. Sure. What advice might you give to our white listeners on how to be better accomplices in supporting our black and brown girls in the media and within these virtual spaces. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's that's absolutely something that I'm more than comfortable with <laughs> because I do it every day. I do it when I talk to college students about becoming teachers or high school. I tell them you don't have to look like your students to encourage them. You don't have to look like them to inspire them. And, and when I see the lies, the eyes light up when I say that, you don't have to be a black male teacher, although they are so needed and so valued and so important and so desperately wanted in the classrooms. You don't have to be a black male teacher to reach a student. So you don't have to be a black mother to reach a black female. You don't have to be um, involved in a same-sex marriage in order to reach a student who has just come out to their family 
what you can do is show them true and genuine care and compassion and just listen. Sometimes just listening will change you and will motivate you and you become a better person. You some Kids sometimes just need someone to listen to what they have to say and then they're thinking while they're saying it. They don't need sympathy. I have this conversation with coworkers. We don't need sympathy. Our students don't need sympathy. They need someone who loves them. They need someone who will take the time to listen to them and kind of help them think about the different options and outweigh them and, and decide what consequence and what reward and what is um, more feasible. Um, just listening is the first step. Then becoming... Um, and, and when I say listening, I mean active listening. I don't mean listening and then preparing a response. It's listening and say, wow, you know, I never thought of that. I didn't realize that. Tell me, how can I help you? What do you need from me? What, what can I do to make your day better? What can I do to make you feel comfortable in my classroom? Because sometimes it's just our, our um, biases, mm-hmm. the ones that we don't even realize that we have in the classroom or, or having conversations. Or something as simple as when you're out at a restaurant and <clears throat> the check comes, if you are a server, you don't necessarily want to give it to the man. Put it in the middle of the table because you you don't know who's going to pay for it. But um, our, our white brothers and sisters can support us, can bring to light the things that we're seeing. Yes, I see black children being followed in stores. Walk up to the manager and say, "Can I? is there something going on? Because, you know, there's a white student over there walking around by themselves. Bring things to light. Call people out on their stuff. Let them know that you are not just a bystander. You're not one who believes that silence is uh, fine, you know, because we all know silence is consensus. Bring, be, be bold enough to speak out about it. You know, we have the, this is a time of year where we have all these coat drives and we have the food drives and everything. People have to eat 365 days of the year. So, you know, you don't just want to be part of something that does something around the holidays. Go to the schools and say, how can I help <clears throat> the students in your school? We have students who have, for example, balances on their lunch accounts. You don't even have to know if that is a black student or white student or whatever. Go in and say, I'm going to pay as many as I can because I don't want that kid just eating a plate of vegetables because that's that's what they do. If the kid doesn't have money, they'll give them vegetables. So just go find out what you can do at any time in the year to be a part of the solution. Have the conversation. Think proactively about it. Let's address some of these these issues together. I have this conversation with some of my um Feminist friends who are, are white and I say, OK, hey, I'm right here with you. I'm marching for equality. I'm wa- marching for Medicare. I'm marching for paid family leave. Are you going to march with me when I'm marching because another brown man or black man has been killed by police? I need to see you there with me at that time. And very rarely, unfortunately, do you see the numbers the same. If there's a paid family medical leave, um, rally the numbers will be much bigger than someone who has been killed in police custody or someone who has been killed shot three times in the back and it's a black man so so our 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 white brothers and sisters have got to decide okay i've got to be part of this solution i've got to be unapologetically part of it i've got to talk to my own kids i've got to make sure they know it is not acceptable to refer to their peers even in a mocking 
what they call friendly, just plain way. You will not refer to a Hispanic student in a certain way. You will not refer to an African-American student in a certain way. You will not refer to female peers in a certain way. It's not acceptable in my house, and this is why. It's, it's not cute. It's not just boys being boys. It's not the good old boy club. All of that needs to be eliminated. And when we raise our students with the expectations that humans are 100% in the same human race, then a lot of our things will be, a lot of the negative things that we have to deal with now, the cyberbullying and the stereotyping, it begins to disappear, begins to leave. Kids can call each other out on it. You know I mean? Encourage your kids to be brave and talk to their friends and say, I'm not going to be a part of this, and this is why. And be that lone person. Walk away because they're probably not the only one thinking that. I tell my daughter that all the time. You can be different. You can walk away from stuff. You know, you see kids doing something and you know that's not who you are, walk away from it because you will probably give strength to another person to walk away from it. Well, thank you for sharing that. I suspected that you could add some depth to that question, and I was right. <laughs> yes, you were. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So we have, you know, one more point as we end cap our conversation Rounding back to the beginning where we indicate the theme of this podcast is learning, lifting, leading, social equity formed by black and brown girls and women, which is aligned with the women's conference that took place at Shaw University in Raleigh back in October. Yes. And putting this to all of our guests could you make a suggestion or two about how black and brown girls and women can be learning, lifting, and leading to bring about social equity? Just, I think, the way we can, that is, it's so much to that, but mm-hmm. it's, 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 it starts with being confident. It starts with knowing that your journey has, is not a mistake. That everything that you have gone through and experienced in life is a testimony. One of my favorite things that my mom tells me um, is your test will become a testimony. So if you have been in a situation where you have been the victim of cyberbullying or racial profiling or some type of stereotypical inappropriate um, comment, whether it be by a teacher whether it be by a family member or a stranger or something, find the strength to speak on that and and let our young girls know that there is the other side to that. There is the way to use that negativity and turn it into something that makes you stronger and, and productive. Um, the way we can do that for our girls is allowing them to be themselves, to be different, um, to explore any interest that they want and confidence and, and not having to um, become a part of what some folks say is the norm. I had a conversation with a student the other day or his mom, and he said, you know, he just doesn't perform well on standardized tests. And because of that, he's not seen as, seen as gifted. And I said, you and I both know that your son had, is far more advanced than anything that is going on in some of his classrooms. And you don't need a test to know that. Just continue to build his confidence. 
Tell him, you know, what you're doing is great and it is going to take you far in life. You know, it's, it, these tests are one thing. They don't determine who you will become in the future. And it's the same thing about the experience that our black and brown girls have. Someone mislabeling you and even getting to the point where they mistreat you does not determine who you are and who you will be for this world and who the world needs you to be. I think it's a phenomenal example of um, uh, First Lady Michelle Obama and how she's just written this amazing book and she's telling her story and she's so brutally honest in it. Um, sometimes we portray uh, ourselves as the most forgiving people. You know, slavery was back then. It's okay. We should forget about it. We should we should let it go. Michelle Obama has um, made that full circle by saying, you know, no, we won't forget it. No, we're not always forgiving. When she talks about how she's not going to forgive people for putting her family in particular situations, that's real. And we can tell our girls, you can forgive, but you don't have to forget. Mm-hmm. You Use it to make you a better person. Use it to make sure someone else you know, if they have to go to that situation, if it's not, if you can't prevent it, if you can't prepare them for it, tell them your experience. Talk to them about it. Make sure they know the, war, the sky is so far past the limit. There is no glass ceiling anymore. You can accomplish anything that you want to accomplish with hard work with um, persistence, with not being apologetic, with not allowing someone else to tell you no, that's not possible, with even accepting a not right now thing, because sometimes that's the case, is being a, a, a black woman wanting to work with African-American males, there are times where I have African-American males who tell me, you know what, we're going to look for somebody else, and I know what that's from, that's just I need a male to do this job and not a female. It didn't stop me. It just showed me that's not my path. Mm-hmm. But eventually it will come to the point where that person will come back to me and that person will have to congratulate me and say, you're doing a phenomenal job. Can I sit down and have a conversation with you and you can tell me your, how you became so successful? So we can lead and we can lift our, our, our girls and by ha- making sure that they are learning that who they are is not a mistake. Is It's a journey. It's ups and it's downs. But it's all eventually going to get you to where you want to be, where you need to be, and where the world needs you to be. So make no apologies for the interest that you're in. Make no apologies for standing up for yourself or for other people. Make no apologies for saying, I'm not going to continue or allow anyone to make me a victim of cyberbullying or stereotyping or racial profiling or anything like that. That I'm strong in who I am, not a friend, not a uh, a co-worker, an educator, not even family can stop me from becoming who I'm meant to be. You know, find the strength within yourself and then find a circle. I, my heart is, is, is full of inspiration and encouragement because I have a circle of friends who always come to me and say, you got this. I'm so proud of you. Uh, what can I do to support you? Just conversation sometimes. And this is this is not just like, you know, your BFF. This is your village. I have a village of people who tell me don't stop. Keep going for what you know you need. What were you put on this earth for? What is your calling? So if we encourage and inspire our girls to listen to that voice, then they will become their own definitions of successful. And our world will be a much better place once we let them lead the way. Well, 
thank you so much for your insight and energy and just commitment to so many aspects of growing community and broadening education. Um, I really appreciate you carving out some time to speak with us today. <laughs> oh, absolutely. My pleasure. My, my, uh, this, this is great. And this is, a, you know, what I want to do. I want to make sure that, you know, folks know that there is someone out there that's seen it too. that's willing mm-hmm. to speak on it and, and inspire and encourage others to do the same thing. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Learning, Lifting, Leading, Social Equity for and by Black and Brown Girls and Women with our guest, Nashonda Cook, North Carolina public school educator and blogger. Special thanks for this podcast go to Shaw University, Elon University, and the Raleigh Apex branch of the NAACP for supporting this important work.